Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Hello again. Uh, I'm Sarah, and we're from Journey Church. We're here talking today about the atonement. This is part of our Q&A series where we kind of dig deeper and ask more questions and get some more information about the atonement. That's our current sermon series at Journey Church, and we are we just finished our third session. And so I'm here today with Pastor Jim and Pastor Tyler, and I have a couple questions for them. Um, first, uh, we started with our, our very first Sunday in the series. We looked at Adam and Eve in the garden and the covering of skins. So I wanted to ask, uh, Jim, is there anything um, from that one or from the next one, which was uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, anything more to add, anything that you wish could have made it in the sermon, but was cut for time, um, or just more thoughts that you've had as we've gotten further away from those Sundays. Well, or or I just think that a, a quick review because mm-hmm. I'm able to we're able to to kind of reduce these sermons down to one word, and and the one word represents a nuance or a perspective on the multifaceted brilliance of what the atonement is. So for that first one, it would be covered. It was the title of the sermon, but really uh, blood for guilt, skin for shame, love for fear was the trade-offs that we are covered. Our guilt has been paid for. Our shame is is covered so we don't have to feel like we're, we're overexposed. Uh, our sins of the past, uh, who we are in the present, God is the one who honors us. Uh, honor comes from Him. Uh, not on the basis that we're such great people, but He has chosen to honor us. Um, and then finally, because um, we were talking about those three cultures, fear, fear, honor, or fear, um, uh, power culture, the shame, honor culture, and the guilt, innocence culture, and that the atonement provides a covering for all three, um, the, the, the guilt, the shame, the fear that's created in all three cultures. Um, and all of us are a mix of those. None of us can say, oh, I'm completely shame honor because I'm Asian. That's just not how it works. We actually, all of us have a big mix of all three things that when we think about our sin, um, we have a sense of guilt or, or there is an, even without a sense of guilt, there is an absolute equation that says you are guilty. Um, that, that shame piece of feeling overexposed and naked and mocked and insecure about what we've done and who's going to find out about this um, versus will I, I ever find a place where I, I feel forgiven and competent and will I ever be seen as, as, as uh, glorious? Um, and then finally in that, in that fear power kind of continuum of just who's the boss, who's, who's got the power of life and death, where do I fit in the pecking order? Get in good with the big guy kind of thing to recognize that God, the judge is God, the savior. And so I just, I love that the fact that the skins and the covering, there were pictures of all three uh, kinds of dysfunctions or, or the kinds of, of um, awareness or reality of what sin actually produces in the human creature. And that ultimately Jesus is our covering. Um, Tyler said it, uh, this last Sunday, I said it the Sunday before, um, 
but it applies here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29, mm-hmm. and that he is our covering. Uh, the second one um, that I'll just mention really quickly is we're provided for. Um, the great name for God, Yahweh Jireh. Um, some some know that that name better, Jehovah Jireh. I don't really prefer the, the, the name Jehovah. Um, it's not a biblical term. Yahweh is what what uh, that that name is getting at. Uh, in our in our Bible, when we see the Lord and they're all in small caps, that is God's memorial covenantal personal name Yahweh. And it was in Genesis 22 that his name, his title, Yahweh, Yahira, Jaira, uh, some people say it that way. Um, and that was really uh, God ultimately providing in, in the place of Isaac, God providing something else, a substitute. And then... Um, Abraham claiming that name for God, God has provided. And that, those are two beautiful pictures of the atonement. I'm covered and my very life that, that is owed as a debt to my sin has been exchanged and I have been, been, been provided for instead of having to actually make payment myself with my own blood. So that was a beautiful picture from Genesis 22. So both of those were from Genesis. And then this past Sunday, we moved to Exodus. And Tyler, you talked about uh, the Passover um, as part of the Exodus story. Is there anything that you wanted to add or elaborate on from Sunday? Uh, I mean, the primary thing I actually took out of my sermon before preaching it was just thinking about how uh, how we sort of developed these ideas. Uh, one of the things when I used to be a high school Bible teacher that I would always try and convince students of is all the things necessary to interpret the Bible properly are on the page. And Jim, yourself, myself, and lots of other people go and do immense amounts of education in order to be able to nuance particular things, learn certain uh, theological and uh, academic uh, uh, terminology for certain things. But what we're seeing uh, in terms of drawing these connections from uh, a sacrifice in Genesis 3, uh, Isaac paralleling Jesus, the uh, the atonement lamb here in Exodus 11 and 12, paralleling Jesus. All those things are things I think that the biblical authors want us to see. And so they actually put it in there so that you can see it on the page without needing to go get an academic degree in order to see these things. And so kind of what I wanted to uh, to elaborate on, but didn't think I had the time to, was just pointing out that the, the key for Christians uh, who want to engage scripture at a deeper level is is more just actually becoming better readers than mm-hmm. pursuing uh, a, a particular, like a, a master's degree in apologetics or in theology or in New Testament. Those things are, are great and can be super helpful, but really what we need to do is just carve out time to slowly, carefully, and thoughtfully uh, read our Bibles. Mm-hmm. 
I think I'm glad you brought that up because I was, as I was looking at my questions in front of us, I was thinking, um, boy, do these questions make sense to it, to just, um, you know, uh, my mom when Mm -hmm. she goes to work or to my neighbor, Mm -hmm. um, are these questions we're talking about all of these sort of, um, heavily religious words. We're talking about sin and sacrifice and, um, guilt and shame and all of these things that are are in in our context. They're very um, they have all of these. They're almost like shorthand for these really really big religious ideas. And mm-hmm. oh man, is this um, too far removed from people's real lives? You know how does this how does this connect to that? Um, wow, this I love this question. Um, tremendously practical takeaways. I'll give you three just off the top of my head really quick. Uh, One is rocket fuel or jet fuel for worship. I think when we realize what has been done, whether I feel it or not, to actually come to grips with the reality that, that I'm a dead man. I am my sin and I'm a sinner by, by nature and by choice. There's, there's only one kind of person my kind of person. There's not the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's just us. We're bad. We are bad from birth. And I'm not saying that every every baby, oh, what a naughty baby. That's my ba- my, my granddaughter, Noli. It's hard to imagine that she's a sinner. She has not, to my knowledge, expressed it yet. Now, Kaylee tells me that she has. But she's eight months old and she's precious. But oh my goodness, the moment she gets the opportunity She's going to express her sinfulness. There's no way out of this. And to know that that sin brings death and judgment, and I deserve the lake of fire, and yet I'm never going to experience that because Jesus took my place. I mean, it you start to shake in your boots with like a holy reverence and love, which is the rocket fuel of worship, whether it's a hymn or um, a praise chorus or a spiritual song or uh, a prayer or a meditation or an offering that you're going to give something of value to the Lord or the kingdom of God or, or, or finances, it's rocket fuel for worship. The atonement changes my heart, my attitude. I don't got to worship the Lord. I get to, I want to, I have to. He's redeemed my life from the pit of hell. So there's the first one is, is worship. Second, um, I'll say evangelism. Um, man, just in in the last 24 hours, uh, and I can't remember, probably someone at the checkout counter, but people ask me, and I, I borrowed this from a, from a radio talk show host, but how are you doing today? Better than I deserve. And I say it all the time. And some very few people know that that's, that's Ramsey. Hmm. Um, very few people. So they're typically Christians and they listen to certain talk radio to listen to Craig Ramsey, uh, financial stuff. But so I've borrowed that and people go, oh, I doubt that. And I go, oh no, I'm a bad person. You go, oh, that's not true. And, and it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I just feel like I, I've won the lottery of, of God's grace and forgiveness. I deserve nothing and yet he's given me all things. Mm-hmm. And so when you recognize that, oh, um, or, or this other, other idea of like, look, I'm, there's only one kind of person, a broken person. I, I'm one of them. Uh, but I feel like a person, uh, like a, a beggar, that's just showing all the other beggars where to find the free bread. 
And those kinds of little, little prepared, well-prepared statements that you don't want to be too corny with that. You want to know who you're talking to, but you're, you, you know, it's true. They're asking how your day is going and you're going, man, I'm, I'm having a great day. And you're talking to someone who doesn't know the Lord. But when you're, when you're gripped by the atonement and that what he has provided has made you at peace with God, at one with God. And by the way, if that's the big, our biggest problem, that's taken out of the way. I'm, I can be at peace with even my enemies mm-hmm. that I don't have to retaliate or walk up on stage and slap them because they're talking trash about my wife. I don't have to do that. Yeah, a little pop culture. So, somebody watched the award show. I didn't. I read about it in the news today. Notice, I read it. I didn't even watch it. But um, yeah, the reality is, is I don't have to do that. And, and that becomes great evangelism. Um, the final thing that I'll, I'll, I'll say is, is um, there is absolutely, there is an emotional component that I know some people that are afraid of that word, they want to take out the word joy. Joy means that there's a deep-seated conviction of, of everlasting peace. And it's like, sounds like it's happy to me. <laughs> joy and happiness sound a lot alike, and it sounds like a good feeling. And um, I absolutely, the, the atonement, and, and again, maybe it is the jet fuel. It's, it's a good feeling. Like the things that would nag me and dog me or bad things happen throughout my day. And an untrained mind, an untrained heart, you might be born again, but you're not gripped by the atonement. You go, uh-oh, what did I do? Why is God mad, God mad at me? We jump to conclusions um, and we make assumptions. Bad, bad, very bad. God's going to get me. God's, God's going to throw me into a test so big because he doesn't like me. I, I've talked to people in the last two weeks, and this theme comes up over and over and over again, that people can sit in, an, in a congregation, listen to the preacher preaching, and they can go, yes, God is gracious for all of them, but not me. Because I know me, and I can't love me or forgive me. God could never, but anyone else could be five times worse than me and of course, I can believe love, forgiveness, and atonement for them. But people struggle sometimes with their own sin and sinfulness or just their own basic selfness, and they just don't believe God could treasure them. And the atonement absolutely tells me I am treasured. And that sets me free. Emotionally, it sets me free. It gives me a better day. That I approach even challenges with, with wonder and curiosity and excitement, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but offered him up freely. How shall he also not with him give us all things? That's a game changer for me emotionally. So worship, so, evangelism, and joy. So what I'm hearing in these three things is kind of uh, boots on the ground. Um, how does this connect to my everyday experience? And, and we started there by Tyler saying, I can open the Bible and without a, an advanced degree and being able to speak Hebrew and read Hebrew, I can arrive at these conclusions that lead to these practical um, outflows in my life in terms of evangelism, worship, joy, all that. How, what if I feel like I'm not very good at that? How do, what, do you have some, how, how do I get better at, at reading, at seeing some of these patterns coming through, at, at picking up on these ideas mm-hmm. and then um, a, maybe, a, I don't know, I don't even know if applying is the right word, but 
um, seeing fruits of it in my life, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, first, let me add something to what Jim said, because mm -hmm. I think I think sometimes we can feel like these things don't touch our everyday life because we just live in uh, what the philosophical language would be a metaphysically thin world, meaning we, we just don't think a lot about the deeper things, about, about bigger reality behind it. And so concepts like sin and atonement are things that we actually all, uh, and I think this is one of the things you're getting at, Jim, actually all like deep down inside we recognize but we like to just sit on the surface of things. And when you sit on the surface, a word like atonement or covenant seems uh, archaic and uh, and unnecessarily obtuse and all sorts like of... out of touch. Almost. Yeah, yeah. It seems, it seems old-fashioned when really it's not about when the word was coined or what era it's from. It's about a reality that it points to that goes beyond uh, just the, the workings of the mechanical workings of our everyday life, but actually has to do with the spiritual workings of our everyday life, mm. which we don't like to deal with often. Uh, so that would be, that'd be the one thing I would add to, to what Pastor Jim said. And then mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, in terms of that question, I think, I think it would be important to understand, you know, what makes somebody feel like they're not a good reader? Like, is it because they read slowly? Is it because, they have a difficult time uh, seeing the things that that we're seeing and drawing out of the text. Uh, you know, what what is it that that makes them sort of feel that way? Because one of the things I would point out is, one, the book, the Bible, is a big book, so it just takes a while to read through it. Uh, but also, we've been kind of in conjunction with it being a long and a big book. <clears throat> we've been trained to approach it in a very particular and a very piecemeal way which often makes it hard to see what's actually going on in the text. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to see in Exodus 11 and 12, the Lamb of God, and to think about what's going on there, and then associate it with, as Jim mentioned, John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, there's like a thousand pages in my Bible in yeah. between those yeah. two things. And if we're reading it in this, uh, and I don't mean to be pejorative, but it's it's often packaged in a devotional way, mm -hmm. uh, where it's just you know like little tiny pieces of like scripture. my verse of the day. Yeah, yeah. Up. Like if you could print it on a fortune cookie, and that's how you're engaging with scripture, then you're just it's going to take so long to get through the Bible, and, and then you're not going to know where the fortune cookie piece fits. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it, it is not yeah. within. It's not context. bad, but it's not the best, right? Or it's not the only. Yeah, uh, and and so one of the things I think is that we need to approach the reading of scripture like we would approach the reading of any other book, which is uh, I switch off reading little bits at a time and focusing in and narrowing in, and then I I also read large chunks at a mm -hmm. time, and so I'm trying to catch in <clears throat> in this way both look at an individual tree and then put that tree in the forest. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I actually, the, the way I read the Bible is uh, in terms of my personal devotions is every other year I switch off which one I'm doing. So this year I'm reading through the Bible in a year. Next year I'll pick one Old Testament book and one New Testament book, much like picking two trees in a forest. And I'm just going to study those two trees. Mm -hmm. uh, so most of what I see in scripture, I would not have seen 10 years ago when I started doing this. Mm. Uh, but it takes practice, which I mean is one of the things that 
it's it's very odd to me how this can happen uh, with spiritual things and when it doesn't happen with everything else. Like we understand uh, that if I, who cannot play a musical instrument, wanted to play the piano like Sarah, that's going to take a while. Like I'm not just going to buy a piano book or pull up some YouTube videos of somebody teaching the piano and sit down and in a week be able to play any of the songs in, in the way in which you can play them. It's something that has to develop. You have to develop habits. You have to develop the way the, the muscles and the fingers work. You have to develop all of these different things. Same thing's true with athletics. Same thing's true with, uh, say, like understanding something in terms of finance or mechanics. Like the more you work on a car, the better you're going to get at it, the more you understand it. All of, almost all of life is about encountering something again and again and through experience building knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we, I don't know why, uh, maybe it's an aspect of spiritual warfare or maybe it's something about our culture, but we approach the Bible and we think the God this book explains should be immediately understandable in the way this book works. When, by the way, the earliest part, the closest to me parts of it were written 2,000 years before I was born. Those should all be immediately understandable and engaging and I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to do any just kind of heavy thought work. Mm-hmm. So what I don't want to say is it's easy to see these things. What I do want to say is when Jim and I are preaching, much of what we're talking about is just drawn straight off the page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you would connect that to music because I would say that I often encounter exactly what you're saying, which is um, a a sense of, oh, I'm I'm already not good at music, therefore I can't be good at music. Mm -hmm. And and. The ex- I think the exact same thing happens with scripture and it's a real, um, uh, I feel like when I counter that, I often point to how God made us, that he made us to be learners and mm-hmm. growers mm-hmm. and the sanctification process is um, over time, progressively, piece by piece, developing just like, and you think about in scripture, all of the pictures um, and imagery around plants and trees and Mm -hmm. seeds and that that's how he talks about life and people is that we don't we don't just appear as a fully grown tree we are planted as a seed and then we grow Mm -hmm. and that's that's how we were made and so it's not against our nature to get better and develop over time it's with our nature Mm -hmm. and then the only other thing i'll say um is that um i would encourage uh anybody who who feels Far from understanding what the Bible uh, when they what the Bible says when they read it to pick up or find a reader's Bible. A reader's Bible has um, all of the chapters and headings and verses taken out, so it just has each book written like a book and formatted like a book, and you can read it like a book. Mm-hmm. And it it absolutely changes the way you see the yeah, text. Yeah, like like I'm reading 1984 right now. Uh, if I stopped in the middle of a sentence, which I was looking at Ephesians, mm-hmm. uh, Ephesians 1 uh, last week, as we were kind of picking passages to read from, I was considering reading Ephesians 1 during the service. And there's actually, uh, Ephesians 1, 5 is actually stuck two words into a sentence. So it's in mm-hmm. love, verse break, and then the rest of the sentence. Uh, and if, so if I stopped, if I was reading 1984 and I stopped mid-sentence, mm-hmm. 
and put the bookmark in one. Well, I'll come back. Like I would, I would have to go back and pick up and start reading yeah. further back. I can't yeah. just go mm. where the verse breaks are. So, like, so wait, wait. The verses are not inspired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, one of the things that makes me think about is uh, a few weeks ago we had a staff meeting and we were talking about the concept of giftedness, mm-hmm. and uh, throughout the course of our discussion, one of the things that was drawn out is every single person on our staff is doing something right now which they are doing remarkably well. And no one five years ago would have said that that was their gift. Mm. And so it's, I mean, it's just one of those things going back to what you were saying is we were designed to learn and grow. And if I actually understand some of the things that I see in terms of sanctification and growth in the Bible, I see people learning and growing as they lean into their weakness because that's where they have to trust God. Mm -hmm. And so Moses is a guy who, when the first time he shows up in the Bible, uh, or the first time he encounters God in the Bible, he's explaining uh, that God should go find somebody else because he doesn't speak well. Mm-hmm. And then this guy is going to become like literally one of the most influential leaders in world history because of what he recorded and because of what God did through him. And people write leadership books about Moses's style of leadership, which he was thinking, I don't speak ye so well when mm. God encountered him. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to pull it back to atonement okay. um, in in this way. I think we, we had talked a little bit in the same way that we want to say we want to read. Um, we want to read the Bible uh, in larger chunks and, and kind of practice our reading skills looking at the Bible. Over a lifetime. Um, over, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yes. Because yeah, that's and the other not, piece. To, to be gracious with yourself Absolutely. that you don't get it all the first time. Yep. And that's okay. Um, there We also... A little bit earlier, we were talking about how the the story, um, the stories of Adam and Eve in the garden, the story of Isaac and Abraham, the story of the Passover, and the, the other stories that we're going to look at with the atonement are um, echoed and mirrored and um, seen again and again in our stories and in the stories that we tell. And so talking about how um, the story of the Bible is is one story and is the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then my question is, okay, if the story of the Bible is one story and the story, and maybe you could expand on that a little bit, um, how do we in our day um, connect to, uh, we have grocery stores, we have um, kind of modern technology. How do we connect to these stories that feature so prominently um, both pagan and uh, Yahweh followers sacrificing animals hmm. because we don't, we don't have, not only do Christians not sacrifice animals, but neither does anybody else. So how do we understand all of that language? How do we connect to that? If this is the big story. So I'm first going to say, let's talk about how God's story is the story. And then say, if that's true, how do we understand some of this stuff that we're not seeing in our life? Yeah. So if I'm just, I'm going to mention a book. I don't want, I, no one needs to go read it, but and I'm not even going to unwrap it, but Save the Cat was recommended to me by a master preacher. I got the book, sat on my desk for a couple of years, finally dug into it. And basically it's a, an insider look at how to write a screenplay. And the 11 components of from introducing the, the major character, introducing, making him or her likable, that's actually what Save the Cat means. You actually see that in the original Incredibles, the the Pixar movie, Um, Mr. Incredible stops 
to save the cat. That's where the title comes from because it shows up in these playwrights, in, in these screenplays. Um, it goes through, there's, there's a villain, there's, um, you get some early movement and then there's a glitch in the, and these are all, all steps in the, in the playwright, in the storyline. You get to the point of crisis uh, and climax. You get to a all is lost moment. Um, the guy who wrote that book actually even says it's Christ on the cross. He actually, he's a secular minded Hollywood um, screenwriter. And he actually used that. It is Christ on the cross. All is lost. That is exactly what happened on Good Friday. Everyone thought, oh my goodness, we've all been had. All is lost. And then there's the resurrection. And this happens in every great story. And so it is the story in every great story. You can deviate from this and call yourself an artist, but the story breaks down. And it just becomes like, a whoa, that was a bummer. Um, the stories don't work. They don't sell. They don't connect in the same way that the great story that's happening of all of time increase. I call it God's redemptive plan of the ages, um, you know, encapsulated within eternity, this time and space continuum. And the story follows these very uh, powerful rhythms that are that show up in fairy tales and uh, parables and um, you just can't escape them. Even movies that we shouldn't see follow these patterns because it's almost like they're written in the, in the code of the universe, as it were. And they're all hinting at a greater story, which is the story of creation, fall, flood, uh, law, um, failure, Jesus, redemption, cross, resurrection, church age and uh there's still um a hill to be to be taken a fight to to find um and then ultimately a price to pay for god's people and then there's the resurrection and glory and victory it's the end of of uh return of the jedi when when you know, there's fireworks on, on Coruscant and everyone celebrating around that galaxy because of the great victory, uh, against, you know, the, you know, whoever the, the bad guy was, um, forget, forgot his name. It's the emperor Palpatine, but, but just to borrow, I mean, you could borrow these, these same, same ideas from any number of movies or classic novels and, and, but it is, it is, they're echoes of the true story, the real story. So how do we connect the, if we're, if we're seeing these echoes and we just talked about the Passover and in, in the Passover scene, God says to the people of Israel, and this is hundreds of thousands of people in these family groups, um, Hey, go home tonight and kill a lamb at your house, butcher it, prepare it, eat it, take the blood, sprinkle it on stuff. How do we, how do we connect with that? How do we see, what is a, what does someone in 2022 do with that? Hmm. Well, one of the things to, to realize right away is that just like Jim was saying, they're participating in this as a reenactment. So the people who are doing the killing of the lamb, they likely 
because they are doing this with Moses, who's going to write Genesis and Exodus and is going to tie particular themes from Genesis 22, where Jim preached on the sacrifice of Isaac, into Exodus 11 and 12. So they're, they've got this conceptual framework for what's going on. They're, they don't think it's a random event. They don't think God just kind of, well, I'm going to try and pass over your sin. Oh, gosh. What do I do to do that? What can I do? What can I do? What can I, oh, I'll just have him, uh, I'll just have him kill something fluffy. Um, something cute and fluffy, we'll just take it, kill it, and we'll, we'll call that good. No, they, they understand the fact that they are participating in a bigger story. And I think once we realize that, that's what should be the trigger for us to understand we are participating in a bigger story. And one of the tragedies of our contemporary world with all the technological advancements that, that you mentioned, one of the tragedies of that is that we customize everything in our lives in order to speak our story. And so we try and make each person their own individual storyteller. Tyler's story is about when he was born to when he dies and uh, here are the important events and we, we kind of cabinet off as its own thing yeah. such that even thinking about going, you know, after this, I'm going to go home. I'm going to stop by the grocery store to get things. I'm going to go look for particular brands in the grocery store that are brands that I like because I get to customize my life. I'm going to pick a particular grocery store on the basis of it carrying the things I like. And in a, in a certain sense, uh, all of these things are pointers to the sort of identity I want to be and the story I want to live. And so kind of how we understand these ancient practices in many ways is realizing that our little tiny finite stories are actually anchored in a much grander story. Just like the Israelites realized this isn't a random thing. We are in the story of Abraham and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And this God, like uh, I think you brought this up on Sunday, this God is the one who made the universe. Mm -hmm. Therefore, every story resonates with his story right. because he made yeah. everything. Yeah, I'm going to throw in the, the flyer. Mm -hmm. I have I have no such delusion having been uh, an outdoorsman, a hunter and a fisher and um, taking animal life. And when you're a kid, you do it because it's an accomplishment and filling a tag feels like I'm a man, I'm competent. And, and you don't you don't connect with the fact that a living creature gave its last breath so that you could actually take it home and eat that. As you grow as a man and you actually mature, you actually, it starts to resonate with you and you go, what in the heck? And this is all of our food, all of our, our mm -hmm. you know, beef and pork and chicken and fish. And um, so there's an advantage there. Um, I, you know, our, our grandparents, they were on the farm. They, you want chicken, you're cutting the chicken head off. Mm -hmm. you're, you're in touch with that. And I think part of the question is, Man, we're really out of touch with even our food sources. So, so the question would be: Does does do these does this history lose some of its punch because we're so um, far removed from that? But I would also add, though, that as I think about even even in the entertainment industry and some of the stories that are told and some of the stories that resonate, even if they don't tell the real story or a good outcome you actually, and I'm not saying it's the best way to, to gain insight or wisdom, but this, but the same emotive quality shows up in so many, I mean, even Disney movies, or I was, I was thinking about, 
I don't know why I'm thinking about Will Smith, but um, <laughs> what was it like 11 pounds or there was a seven, a, seven, seven, pounds. seven pounds where he's going to try to atone for his own guilt mm -hmm. by giving away his vital organs in a meaningful way while, Spoiler while, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's a story of atonement mm -hmm. that actually points forward to this Sunday. Mm -hmm. He's, he's paying his own tab. It's mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. It's, it wrecks you emotionally. It's, it's a ripoff. I mean, don't see it. It's like, it's going to wreck you. It's so bad, mm -hmm. but it actually drums up the awareness of um, the preciousness of life and what it means to spill blood of, of a creature or a, in our, I mean, let's face it. Um, our faith is built upon human sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, the God man. And if that doesn't move you emotionally and you're detached from that, and yet you'll, there other stories will, will trigger you and, and remind you life is precious. Um, creatures are pre li the lifeblood of, of even animals. I mean, have a, have a pet cat or dog and you have to put them down and say goodbye and connect that. Like something's wrong with this universe. My heart is so broken. I wept like you would not believe when, when I had to put Roy down. I, I heaved and I shook saying goodbye to an old friend of 17 years mm -hmm. that had spent so much time with us as, as the Roden clan. Um, and to connect that to the, um, like, wow, these, these Passover lambs, when it was codified and, um, institutionalized mm -hmm. they would be raising the paschal lamb in their household what they, does that mean paschal that's lamb? the passover lamb okay. they would actually know this little lamb it's supposed to be a, a male lamb without spot or blemish of a year old and so they would raise this little guy the kids would connect with that mm -hmm. there's no way that you can say though oh this is just a, a a religious object that happens to draw breath and be in our home, around our home. And it's like, no, they, it probably be named. And then on Passover, it's going to lose its life and they're going to eat that. Don't tell me that that's not an emotional trigger or an experience that, that awakens the heart. Hearts that have been numbed and dead, deadened by sin or denial or severed consciences, that's going to all be brought back up and reawakened. And I think, um, even when we read, read the New Testament, the gospel stories in the, in the, the passion week. And we connect on that level with, with Jesus, our Lord and savior. And we, we see him as the lamb of God and go, Oh no. Oh no. And, and it moves us deeply. We're starting from the words on the page and, and letting that grip us that he's going to shed his blood and that there's even an emotional bond there with him and that he's doing that for us. It, it changes the story. It makes me think about how we've, we've talked a lot about how discipleship is um, head, head, heart, hands, or learning and, and loving and living that there's a, a thinking component, a feeling component, and then a doing component. And that, that this, um, these religious ideas, going way back to what we started with, these religious ideas and terms and what you're, what you're seeing on the page um, aren't just for thinking. Uh, but that the stories that they that the Old Testament tells puts us in the mindset, and then when we see the story of 
Jesus, especially in his, um, the Passion Week from Palm Sunday to the cross, that there's a, an emotional component. There's a, there's that, um, well, it's resonant. common humanity. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things that yeah. I think also hinders our ability to read the scriptures well is so many people who believe that the scriptures actually tell history, read it like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And one of the that things they aren't that, real people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It's, I mean, there are, there are authors who are amazing at creating three dimensional characters uh, in their books so that you, you, you connect with these fictional people. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible is describing stories with actual real people in them, which means there's a component of humanity and you have the two data points then. This is what Jim was just drawing out. You have the two data points of the words on the page and the fact that I am like them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm a human being created in God's image with emotions. With Even though I come from a different culture, so many cultures have massive overlaps. And so there's mm-hmm. this human component that helps us understand and connect, which is why I don't need to take a historical cultural class or teach a historical cultural class on honor and shame society for somebody to read Psalm 51 and understand the context that David just royally screwed up Mm -hmm. and got confronted on it. And that's all people need to know. And everything else makes sense because Mm -hmm. we're all humans who have done stupid things, who have gotten caught, who have gotten caught. Exactly. Yep. And it resonates with us. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, Okay. So speaking about, we've been talking a little bit about the lamb and the Passover lamb. And so a question um, coming out of that is um, what happens to Israel's sin? Because uh, we kind of established on Sunday, um, what is the uh, verse from Genesis? Dying you shall surely die. Mm -hmm. That in in the garden, um, disobedience means death. Mm -hmm. But that death didn't come. They were covered with animal skins. And then that death didn't come with Isaac. A goat, a ram was provided mm-hmm. in the thicket. And now here we are in Egypt and that death didn't come. The lamb was killed. Well, where is that sin? Is it floating in the air? What is happening to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want an obnoxiously philosophical answer, since God is outside of time, uh, the sin is on Christ on the cross. In the okay. sense of explain that one. Yeah. Uh, so if you were to ask any one of us when we got saved, there's several answers to that question. There's the the actual minute moment in which we went and we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We we by the illumination of the Holy Spirit recognized who Christ is, who we are as sinners, who God is as Christ's Father. We recognized these things and we surrendered and we were justified in that moment. But that moment of justification is actually tied to the cross. And actually, our sins were paid for before we were justified in that moment because they were paid for by Jesus dying on the cross in history. That's when all sin was atoned for, past, present, and future. So where's the sin of Israel? The sin of Israel is being passed over. This is where we ended uh, in yesterday's sermon, Romans 3, 21 through 26. I'll just read the last part. Uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. He passed over them, but where did they go? They were dealt with once and for all on the cross. And my sins too were passed over, but they are 
in a sense, passed over in reverse. We've talked a couple of times about like God remembering the future. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this is almost uh, a a dealing with something in the past. Uh, There's actually a grammatical term for that. When you deal with something in the past and has present effects. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that the aorist? Past dealt with in past perfect. present effects. Perfect. 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 Ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that's that's it. it. Is all sin is dealt with at that moment. Jesus says it is finished and it's done. And I'm I'm gonna throw this in. This is an interesting thought that has to do with the passage that Tyler just preached yesterday. Um, did a fantastic job, but but pondering this, all that was required to live through the night for for the Jews was uh kill the Passover lamb, follow, follow the instructions, put the blood on the doorposts. And it sounds like, sounds like all the Jews in Goshen did it. But that doesn't mean they all went to heaven when they died. It means that that night they did what God told them to do to live through the night. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.